This is the E-Commerce Brain Trust, a podcast about building momentum online for established consumer brands. Join our hosts and their expert guests for high-level conversations about e-commerce strategies, trends, and innovations. Access our Brain Trust and boost your brand's e-commerce potential. Hello and welcome back to the e-commerce Brain Trust podcast. I'm your host, Kiri Masters from Acadia. And today I'm joined by another colleague from Acadia, Scott Waldron, who is the director of SEO since October 2022. Previously, Scott spent eight years developing and eventually heading up the SEO practice at 360i, which was part of Dentsu International. In addition to SEO, Scott has managed millions in paid search spend for national brands at Digitas and Razorfish and as a consultant inside and outside of startups. He lives in the far north Atlanta suburbs with his wife, three kids and three cats. Incidentally, he has some hands-on experience, albeit about 10 years old, setting up a store, product feeds and running ads on Amazon when he was at Casemate. Welcome to the show, Scott. Thanks, Kerry. Glad to be here. Yes. So I'm really excited to get into this topic because it's a new one for us on the show talking about SEO. And as a little bit of context, we find ourselves talking with clients and prospects at Acadia more and more about SEO when they are retail and e-commerce brands that have seen a significant change in affordability of paid traffic to their websites. And so SEO has very much come back into vogue. You might argue it never went out of vogue, Scott, but it's certainly on the e-commerce side, big resurgence as a more defensible long-term traffic strategy. And you're as good as they come in terms of expertise in this area. So excited to dig in with you today. Awesome. Yeah, no, definitely. It's the evergreen strategy. What got me into SEO was building websites. And then, you know, nine months later, clients are calling saying, hey, Site looks great. I am not getting any traffic. How do we do that? <laughs> so You mean if you build it, they don't necessarily come? Exactly. Yeah. So it's a combination, I think, of fundamentals of why you have a website in the first place with really, as time has evolved, understanding like the core foundational tenets of marketing. So let's sort of pass out the differences, if there are any differences at all, about e-commerce specific SEO and what might be more relevant to other verticals like B2B or software or hospitality or something like that? How do you think about that question? Right. Yeah. So e-commerce and retail, they have special flavors of consideration when it comes to an SEO strategy. I think by the virtue of the nature of e-commerce sites being pretty large and having a lot of content that's programmatically driven, whether it's the product pages or just you know, all the variations of the product that can exist, that can create quite a bit of a backlog for Google to crawl. And so one of the key factors for e-commerce strategy is going to be thinking through what I call your indexation strategy. Just like you have, you know, go back 20 plus years to when we had paper catalogs, you know, you have a green sweater, but the sweater is also available in lavender and cream and heather gray, but you don't necessarily have a page for each product. You might have a swatch of those colors on the catalog page. To Google, 
It's getting an individual page usually for every product variant and size. So one e-commerce client I worked with while I was between agencies and I went in-house for a while, but did a little consulting, had a product page for hobby parts. So like remote control cars, so like engines and for like ball bearings, they had a page for every size, weight, and gauge of ball bearing you know, was essentially the same product, but just in different facets. And so getting them to think through like, you know, you really just need to have the main product page indexed. And on the page, you have the text that says you have all these variations available. So what happens is, you know, the user gets a good experience because they click around, they can go through the swatches or the sizes, and they get to see and preview that on the page. But, you know, to Google, it very often is getting a totally different page or it's getting a clone of the same page, but with the only difference being is the picture is different or the size is different. So for product uh, pages indexation strategy, what I always think about is like, well, what is the minimum that you want to have, you know, thinking about like a catalog experience, what is the minimum page experience you want to have Google index? Then, you know, have that be sort of the page of truth. And there's ways we can tell Google and other search engines as well, you know, just which page to prefer for that. So you don't have a, you have a size 13 shoe that's green and this type of shoe. Great. You can get to it. Google can get to it, but it's not confusing it with the, you know, 18 other product variants that are there. We might be getting into this later. If so, I apologize, but there seems to me, and I have personally worked with your wonderful SEO team to help optimize the bobsledmarketing.com website. And so many things have come up as someone who's maintained a site for seven plus years. I thought I knew a little bit about SEO. Turns out I do not. And one thing that I was quickly learning from Hayden on your team is the difference between like duplicate content and what content is going to actually enhance other content. And so my fairly long-winded question, I do have a second point with that background, but is that what you're referring to there in terms of not creating multiple product pages for different variants because it will be considered duplicate content by Google or is this even a shade beyond that? Right. It's very similar to that. And it's almost similar to the idea of when you have multiple pages that they're basically saying the same thing and you don't necessarily want Google to pick those up. A good example of this would be, I know in paid search or Facebook, social media ads, you build a page specific to the audience you're trying to target, speaking to all the value propositions that that audience is looking for in your product answers. And you create that page and it reuses a lot of the same content you might have on your homepage or on your service page or your product page or category page. And so there's something kind of rudimentary, but simple. It's a canonical tag. And so this is just a bit of code on a page that says to Google, this page exists or the content on this page also exists somewhere else. And I'd rather have you index it there than here. And so that allows you to operate and create a lot of these duplicate content pages, whether they're a product page or a paid advertisement lander, but manage that sort of debt or confusion (laughs) that you're spinning to Google by having so many pages. So the canonical tag is one of the key tools in the SEO's arsenal to tell the search engine that, hey, there's really only one of these that I want you to think about, or two or three. Sometimes, you know, there'll be like a special finish or a variant of a product that you do want to have indexed and stand out. Maybe it's a limited edition or something like that. But then you apply that same logic when telling the search engine 
through directives and suggestions that you're going to find a lot of this on our site, but there is really only one version that we want you to rank. Right. Got it. Any other notable differences between an e-commerce SEO strategy versus other verticals? Yeah. Yeah. So duplicate content is definitely a key component that we talked about here, but as it lives on your site, you know, what about how that content is syndicated? So worked with many different brands over the years, some pretty big ones that you'll find their products in Target and Walmart, but you know, they also sell directly as well. And what we learned from working with them is they write one product description for t-shirts or any product they might sell. And that same product description gets syndicated and copied by every retailer that carries the product. And so that does create a little bit of competition because when you think about, you know, who is Google or Bing, you know, going to hold in higher esteem as an authority in retail, is it you or Amazon or Target? It's going to be the bigger stores and the bigger presences. So one thing that we recommend to businesses that are in e-commerce that have kind of the control of the main product, or even if you're distributing the product is have a way to add something that's unique to your site to those product descriptions. The same retailer I mentioned earlier with the ball bearings, they were pretty smart because they had the direct deals with manufacturers overseas. And so they were kind of the main import point in the US for all these hobby products. They would resell down to other distribution channels, but they had what they would call the SEO master product description, which was much longer and had more detail. And then they edited that down to what they would then distribute to their distributor sites. And so that way they kind of had the edge when it came to you know having the most authoritative product description for what they're there. Interesting. So yeah, certainly in my context and most of the people listening to this podcast will be selling on Amazon as well, maybe other marketplaces to brick and mortar stores or department stores. So there's certainly omni-channel approaches in here. So the suggestion is make that content a little bit unique with the idea being that if you have the most authoritative quality content, you might rank higher than those retailers. Is that usually what brands you're talking with are looking for? Correct. Yeah. Especially if you are the sort of originator of the product. You know, even though I worked with a client many years ago in the pet product space and they created this very unique product, but you know, what they found was over time, they were getting a couple hundred thousand dollars a year in sales direct on their website, but that number quickly multiplied, you know, 10, 20 X once they started selling on Amazon. And so what we worked with them to kind of come up with, which was just sort of an acceptable level of tolerance and friendly competition that, you know, if Amazon selling their product and also using AdWords to sell the product as well, did we want to get in a bidding war with essentially ourselves or our ally on that? So we kind of came up with a return on ad spend for like those keywords or for those products that just made sense, like economic sense. And sure, you know, we weren't doing quite as much business directly as we were before. But when you take into account the volume they were able to achieve with Amazon and PetSmart and other distribution channels, they were selling a lot more products and making more money. That's interesting. I want to come back to this ROAS on SEO because I think this is one person that speaks really well to this that I don't hear very often coming from SEOs. But first, to your point about, is it really worthwhile competing with an Amazon or a Macy's.com or some really authoritative retailer that you're selling to or through? Is that possible? Is that advisable? I would think that, you know, trying to out 
compete Amazon for your sort of hero product search terms would be a wasted effort. <laughs> Am I right, wrong? Right. Is any answer in any SEO will qualify? You know, it does depend, but I love a good David and Goliath story. And so just as like an agency SEO person, I'm going to say, you know, challenge accepted. I would love to find a way to do that, but it's going to involve a lot of experimentation and it may not pay out. And so, you know, in the example I shared earlier with the pet e-commerce client that I've worked with, that's exactly what they kind of landed on is, you know, there was, and even when I was at Casemate, we kind of came to that arrangement, you know, we can do a good bit of business direct on our site with e-commerce, but where we could achieve scale really was on these platforms and thinking about it, you know, more as a marriage of convenience than anything else. You know, both parties are getting something out of the relationship. But there's certain limits that each partner will have, <laughs> too. So when it comes to, you know, eating into your margins, you know, how good is the relationship if you're, you know, yes, your top line revenue is looking good, but your costs are increasing, your margins continue to shrink. So that's where, you know, I think it's worth trying, especially if you have a unique and disruptive product that is, or products, plural, that stand out and are not something that may obviously come to the user's mind to search for. And so in that pet example, we found one sweet spot term that was good to own both for e-commerce SEO and for paid search. And we just leaned into that phrase or the phrases related to that phrase and made sure like what we're going to really try to own this term and everything else we're going to work with Etsy. We're going to work with Amazon. We're going to work with the other platforms out there as distribution channels. And that way we were able to kind of maintain a degree of scale with our direct e-commerce approach, but then really lean into the side of the relationship where the platform provides the scale. Yeah, I think it must come back to the objective as well. As for every brand I speak with who really wants to have their D2C site, the ultimate destination, they want to own the customer relationship, yada, yada. For every one of those, there's another brand that says, you know what, our customer's going to buy where they're going to buy. A lot of people prefer to shop on Amazon. We're not going to try and fight them on that. We're just going to be available and showing up as best as we can in every channel that our shopper wants to buy. So how much effort you're willing to put into outranking an Amazon page probably comes back to, you know, how deep your burning desire is to rank number one for a given search term, right? Right. And as I've learned, you know, both being in-house and having many, many e-commerce clients is, especially if it's a you know, reusable or replenishable product that you're selling, once you get that relationship with the customer with email marketing, that's extremely valuable. And the best way to do that, I think, and I saw this at Casemate, was just deliver the best customer service possible. And I will say this, you know, to this day, the fact that, you know, we made every effort to make things right for customers. They got a, a cell phone case and it chipped or cracked. We would send them rush delivery of the replacement case and a few other variants that we had lying around in the stock room just to make sure like, hey, you know, we're sorry you got a bad case, but we will take care of you every time. And so I think that's one area where Amazon does another good job with customer service, you know, no hassle returns. But if you can humanize that and go a little bit extra mile, sharing new product or giving them something that's unique that they can only get by doing business with you, that I think is a really great way to build customer relationship and have those repeat customers again and again. And that's something that Amazon won't be able to do. Yeah, ain't that the truth? 
we won't be publishing this episode for a few weeks, but we're recording this over the Black Friday, Cyber Monday weekend, and they're wreaking all kinds of havoc on advertisers right now, underreporting how much the campaign budgets were and the way that they work with brands and suppliers and advertisers leaves a lot wanting, that's for sure. Very true. Yeah, a few years ago, I was actually consulting again with that same pet brand on their Amazon program, helping them to get started. And it had been about six or seven years since I had gotten some Amazon ads set up. And I was surprised, really surprised at how little had changed from the initial transparency that was available on the platform. So I am not surprised to hear you say that. (laughs) Yeah. So Let's talk a little bit about what has changed recently in the world of SEO. What should be the focus for brands in 2023? Yeah. So I think with any anything, your online reputation matters more than ever. Obviously, your homepage and your website is sort of your house on the internet. But as an e-commerce business extends, it goes beyond that now, as we've just discussed with the platforms like Amazon. But there's so much out there to take ownership of when you think about, you know, how can people discover and engage with your brand? So, of course, we're talking about social media profiles, you know, making sure even if, you know, back in the day, you weren't even going to use Twitter or Facebook, you at least sort of parked your name there and linked to your website. Those are sort of the table stakes that we have these days. But as, as you know, we look at retailers, you know, especially for retailers, but even for just companies that sell online, that have a place of business like an office or a mailing address, claiming and maintaining your Google business profile, which is basically what shows up in the map results if you do a Google search for your business name and the map shows up, that's a key part of telling Google, you know, not only are we a local business, but we're also a real entity and we're the same business that is selling online. So it's another asset in your arsenal. And I've worked with companies that are in e-commerce exclusively. They don't have brick and mortar locations, but you know, having a Google business profile has only added to their visibility. And so it's a way to kind of connect the dots to Google that you are indeed, you know, who you say you are, but also provide those customer access points as well. And obviously if you don't have a visitable address and hide that information, but still claim the profile and have your phone number there. Yep. Doing things like that also opens you up to having ownership and claiming the knowledge panel. So if you've ever done a search for a brand, and you'll definitely see this for like big national and international brands, and you're on your desktop, you're going to see upper right corner, you'll see what's called the knowledge panel. And that's kind of like a CIA world book fact sheet on the company. Who's the founder? How many employees does it have? What do they sell? What is their customer service number? You know, anything that Google knows about that entity is going to be in that knowledge panel. And when you're a brand and you've taken advantage of your ownership of your entire web presence, you can update that information. So if you change leadership or even change focus, you know, that's an area where you can sort of control some of the information that Google has on your business. And that along with the Google business profile, as I mentioned earlier, has become increasingly key as customers are shopping around. That makes sense. Let's move on to biggest mistakes and what you see brands doing wrong with SEO in the e-commerce space. Definitely. Number one mistake is launching any site or a redesign without consulting with a competent SEO or developer who's got SEO experience. Developers are very good at doing the job that you want done, but they don't know what they don't know. And it's very easy 
to let the cat out of the bag than to put the cat back in the bag. And a major national retailer that I used to work with in my previous companies came to us after they saw their rankings and more importantly, their traffic and their sales tank basically went to about 50% of what they were getting. And we did some research into it, you know, didn't think to ask certain questions, you know, in the first hour of the conversation. But as we're poking around, we see, oh, lo and behold, you are not on Bing anymore, which is only what about a 10% share of customers, but still 10% customers is a big loss if you're not getting them. And in half of the rankings on Google had disappeared. And so what we found out by doing a technical audit and call of the site is that they had developed and redesigned their new experience in an Angular JavaScript framework. And so what JavaScript frameworks do or any kind of app framework is it's designed to give the user a seamless, fast experience. And it's very interactive. It's super fast. It's just as if you had a native app on your phone and you can shop you know, very quickly. And it's awesome for the user, but what it does is it uses JavaScript to render all of the content. And what that does is, you know, Google says, well, we understand JavaScript and we can crawl sites that have it. And that's technically true, but I've worked on sites that have, you know, 25, 30 million pages that have that. And if Google comes in and sees all those pages are JavaScript, what Google actually gets, unless you have a indexation strategy in place and you've thought about what is Google going to see, Google sees a blank page or it gets a message saying, you need to run JavaScript to use this page. And so for this retailer, they basically went dark to Google. And you know Google saw they had millions and millions of pages and they found the homepage and that's great, but it lost all of the brand pages, all of the category pages, all of the product pages that were previously there. And so it took about six months to recover. We got them back to parity with kind of where they were before the, what we called the crash in about three months. Oh, my God. Yeah, three months of lost sales from Google is quite a painful bullet to bite. And so we worked with them continuing. And because they chose this framework, and every time they did a release of the code base, they had to rethink how they were going to get the content to Google. So it was a very ongoing ongoing engagement. But that was the one case where, you know, we weren't their SEO agency. We were referred by their paid agency. And lo and behold, you know, that relationship helped them. But the key there was, you know, we could have saved a lot of headache if we just had a call with their developers about how they're planning to deploy the content and, you know, work through that workaround ahead of time versus the six months back to parity that it really took. Right. Well, that's Definitely a cautionary tale. So who in the world of retail do you think is doing a really great job with SEO right now? Yeah, well, of course, my clients. (laughs) We're doing doing everything we can, right? No, but in all honesty, I've always been a fan, both as a consumer, but as an SEO in particular, over the years, I've been following REI. And I think they do a couple of things really right. Unlike some e-commerce only sites, they have a strong brick and mortar presence. That definitely helps them. Just as I mentioned earlier about, you know, the importance of your Google business profile, like that matters even more when you have a store. So they have that going for them. But if you subtract out their store presence and we were just to look at their way of plating products and curating content to their users, they do an extremely good job with how they organize categories and how-to guides. I think one of the things that I admire most about what they have 
and this is something that I always point to them as an example, if you want to answer questions related to your product or the lifestyle that your product supplies, look at their expert advice section. And it's in the navigation. It's kind of hidden, but it is in the main navigation. Mm. So it's a win for SEO. Anytime we can get a page in the navigation, so they've at least prioritized it. So it's in the main navigation. Find their expert advice section and you'll see, you know, whether it's hiking, camping, kayaking, biking, they have a repository of content that is just very written towards the intent of the users. Whether you're looking for a first-time buyer of a mountain bike and you want to know, what do I just need to get started? They have a guide for that. And that guide does a great job of cross-linking to relevant categories, and it uses the right keywords for those categories. So it sort of lifts all boats in the way that they work with their category pages too. The categories link back to the guides. It says, I don't know where to get started, start here. So they have a great sort of self-referential internal linking strategy between what I'll call editorial content and product content. Yeah, that's really good insight. And I guess the theme there is it takes work and planning and ongoing investment as well. It's not really something that gets that deployed and active overnight. Very true. There's a content calendar. Yep. And, the, you know, SEO, you can tell it's a team sport over there. It's built into the consultation of how everything is done, but not at the sacrifice of a good user experience. Yeah. And I think Aria is a great example because it's genuinely helpful content. I guess I would compare that to some, especially e-commerce brands that I see where the content is so obviously self-serving or, you know, just so much directly related back to specific products that they have that it's not really going to cause me to stick around long to consume that editorial content because it's just kind of like, you know, the best facial toner you should try in 2023. <laughs> right. Yeah. Number three will amaze you. Yeah, yes, exactly. <laughs> yeah. So doing that in a, REI just does that in a real genuine way that's designed to serve the community and super coherent with their brand, which is about engaging with the community and they've got the events that they do and the trips that they do. Okay. And yes, so that's a really great example. Thank you for sharing that. So Scott, this has been wonderful. I definitely want to hit you up again to talk about the convergence of Google SEO and Amazon because I, for one, have been seeing a lot more overlap there and Google pulling in Amazon content more and more and what does that really mean for brands selling physical items online. So we'll have to schedule a part two of this series so we can dig into Google and Amazon convergence and how to focus and magnify efforts there. Awesome. Well, I look forward to it. Yeah. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah. Thanks, Scott. I'll see you around. All right. See ya.